This morning I want to talk to you about the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. The knowledge of the glory of the Lord. There's some things that God wants us to know. Some things that are already real, but God wants us to know them. And as we approach the Word of God, let's, uh, let's turn our hearts to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray this morning, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would grant us a spirit of wisdom and revelation. That spirit of revelation that unveils the things that are veiled. That opens the things that are closed. That reveals the things that are hidden. I pray, Father, that we would stand with eyes open wide. And that we would begin to see. Lord, we pray as the prophet Elisha prayed for his servant in 2 Kings chapter 4. Lord, open our eyes that we might see. And Lord, as we begin to see, I pray that you would destroy every work of Satan in our lives that comes to blind us. To keep us ignorant of what you've done and what you're doing and what you're getting ready to do. You have given us the right to know some things. And I pray, Father, that we would step into that place, that place of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. I pray it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. The book of Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 14. God speaks through the prophet and says, The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. And we sang right out of this verse and during the time of worship today. The earth will be filled with glory like water over seas filled with glory. The earth will be filled with glory. That promise comes right here out of Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 14. It was stated earlier in the book of Numbers, I believe chapter 14 verse 21, where God said, As surely as I live, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. And the prophet, prophet Habakkuk is speaking of a future event, something that is not now. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. But there's a contrast between this promise and something that comes out of the mouths of the angels, out of the angelic host in the book of Isaiah chapter 6. In Isaiah 6, the prophet Isaiah recounts an experience he had in the presence of the Lord. He said, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He was high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs. The word seraph literally means burning in the Hebrew. These were angelic beings that were composed of fire. These were burning angels. He said, I saw seraphs. Each of them had six wings. With two they covered their feet. With two they covered their faces. And with two they flew. And one cried out to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Do you see the problem there? The prophet Habakkuk says, the earth will be filled. And the angelic hosts say, the, the whole earth is filled. So is the glory of the Lord something future or something present? Is it done or is it about to be done? The answer is yes. The earth will be filled and the whole earth is full. David says it in Psalm 19, he says, the heavens are telling, or the heavens declare the glory of God. The wonder of his works declares the firmament. Day unto day pours forth speech. Night unto day 
day into day, poor support me, night into day, night into night, day into day. In other words, the glory of God is everywhere. The very creation is declaring it and proclaiming it. The very day and the very night, the very sun, moon, and stars, everything that is created is a revelation, an expression, a manifestation of the glory of its creator. So the earth is already filled with the glory of the Lord. What is Habakkuk talking about? How can he talk about the coming glory of the Lord when the Bible already proclaims very clearly that the earth is already filled with the glory of the Lord? Well, there's one little word there in Habakkuk 2.14 that's not in Isaiah 6.3, and neither is it in Psalm 19. And that word is knowledge. Look at your neighbor say knowledge. It says the earth will be filled with the knowledge of of the glory of the Lord. The earth is already filled with the glory of the Lord, but not the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. It means that the glory of the Lord is already everywhere, but people are ignorant of it. People don't have the knowledge of it. And so because men don't have the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, they can be atheists or agnostics or Christians who are discouraged. That'll hit you in just about 35 seconds. Agnostic Christians who think maybe God might do something, but I'm not sure if he will. Let me tell you something. If you do not believe that evil will be overcome by good, you're an atheist. Did you know that there's an atheist form of Christianity? Atheist Christians who believe that God is real and that he exists in the heavens somewhere, but he's nowhere close to me. And that there's no benefit of his presence in my life. What's missing is not the glory of the Lord. What's missing is the knowledge of it. And that word knowledge in the Hebrew is the word yada. Yada. Yada is intimate knowledge. Adam knew his wife Eve and she conceived. Yada. He didn't read a book about her. He didn't sit down and interview her and ask her about her childhood and her upbringing. Actually, she didn't have a childhood. Isn't that interesting? Adam and Eve were created adults, fully mature. He didn't read a book about her. He knew her, which means that he intimately encountered her. He was intimately acquainted with her. He was intimately aware of her being and her person because of encounter. And she conceived. When the scripture says the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, it means that men and women will be intimately acquainted with the glory of the Lord. It means that we will be intimately aware of the glory of the Lord. It means that the glory of the Lord will go beyond being a concept, will go beyond being an idea, will go beyond being a theology. It will become the reality that characterizes our life. When we wake up in the morning, we'll wake up to the experience of the glory of the Lord. And all day long, we'll walk in the glory of the Lord. And when we go to sleep, we'll go to sleep with the glory of the Lord resting on our lives. When the earth is filled with the glory of the Lord as waters cover the seas, it means that that there's no place in all of creation where the glory of the Lord is not intimately known, where it's not just the heavens that declare it, but every man and every woman begin to declare it. Are you hearing me? What's missing is knowledge. The knowledge of the glory of the Lord. And we understand that that knowledge is not in the world. When we are talking about knowledge, the antithesis of knowledge is ignorance. 
And the two, the concepts of light and darkness in scripture, excuse me, communicate the realities of ignorance and knowledge. Light represents knowledge. Darkness represents ignorance. Isn't it interesting that when God created the heavens and the earth, the first thing he created was light. Isn't it interesting that without any other being in existence, there was no being that could benefit from that light. He created knowledge before he created a knower. He created light before he created eyes. There was no eye to see it, but he created light first because he says, before I bring a being into this world that can benefit from the world, I want to make sure that the ability to see what I've done is already present so that when Adam and Eve come to their first moments of awareness, their first first moments of consciousness, they open their eyes and light is already there. They can clearly see everything that God has done. They don't have to scrounge around in the darkness for a while to try to figure out what, oh, let's see, what is this, a tree? Oh, I must be in a garden. They didn't have to scrounge around to figure out where they were, that God created light first, and then he brought about Adam and Eve. He wanted there to be knowledge and awareness of what he is doing. Now, we understand that darkness is covering all the earth. You know, it's funny, when we talk about darkness, we're talking about the ignorance of what God has done, of what he is doing and what he's about to do. If you're walk if you are completely unaware of what God has done, of what he's doing and what he's about to do, you're in darkness. And everything, you know, every every act of sin or the flesh or anything evil, it always comes out of the darkness, meaning you can only do it from a place of ignorance. There sin you can only you can only commit sin. I mean, think about it. If you were okay, <laughs> If God manifested himself in your room and stood by your bed, you'd watch different stuff on TV. I mean, there's certain websites you wouldn't go to. When you get on the phone, there's certain stuff you wouldn't talk about. If he was constantly manifest in all of his glory right at your side, you'd be like, uh, girl, did you, did you, I mean, um. I just love the Lord so much. <laughs> Person on the other end of the phone, girl, did you see Nancy today? Did you see what she was wearing? You'd be like, she looked nice to me. <laughs> you couldn't, you couldn't gossip. You know how they say when you hit your finger with a hammer and a curse word just comes out of your mouth. If God was manifest at your side. You could, you could cut your finger off with the chainsaw and be like, Jesus, <laughs> praise you. <laughs> There's certain things that you can only do in the darkness. You can only do, and when you're in the darkness, nothing is possible but evil and sin. Now, there is a promise of darkness in the scriptures. We are promised darkness. It says in Isaiah chapter 60, verse 2 and 3, For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. That's a promise. Darkness is going to cover the earth, and it's already covering the earth. And I don't understand why believers get all riled up because darkness is in the world. Oh no! Barack Obama supports gay marriage. Well, duh! You're just now figuring that out? 
People act like that's a revelation. We knew that before he got into office. But we think the whole world, the whole country is going to seed because he said it. Of course, the darkness is covering the earth. Oh, no. What's happening with our education systems? We're freaking out. It's getting darker in the schools and the marriage rate, divorce rate is is rising and crime rate is rising and gangs are getting worse. And and they're teaching heresy in seminaries and 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 darkness is covering. And we're worried about the darkness. You can only worry about the darkness when you don't know that you are light. Light is never afraid of darkness because darkness cannot exist in the same room with light. The moment light comes into a room, at that exact moment, darkness flees. There's no such thing as a flashlight that portrays darkness into a light. You cannot project darkness into the midst of light. The light overpowers it. I don't care how deep the darkness is. The light overpowers it. Why do we think we're being overpowered by the world? Hello? We cannot be overpowered by the world. The only reason we think we're being overpowered by the world is because we lack the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. We lack the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. And what God wants to do is increase our knowledge of the glory of the Lord. First Corinthians chapter two, verse 11, first Corinthians chapter two, verse 11. It says, we have not been given the spirit of the world. He sets up very clearly in the first 10 verses of first Corinthians chapter two, that spirit is the vehicle of knowledge. He says, no one knows what's in a man except the spirit that's in that man. No one knows what's in God except the spirit who is in God. And then he says, we have not received the spirit who is of the world, but the spirit who is from God. The spirit of the world is the vehicle of the knowledge of what is in the world. The spirit of God is the vehicle of the knowledge of what is in God. He says, we have been given the spirit who is from God that we may know. Look at your neighbor say that we may know. The reason he gives us his Holy Spirit is so that we may know. Knowledge is the antithesis of ignorance. That we might no longer be ignorant. That we might no longer walk in darkness when we've been brought into the light. That we might no longer go back and forth from light to darkness, from knowledge to ignorance, from clarity to confusion, from encouragement to discouragement. But that he would bring us into the place where we know and we know beyond knowing and we know with our knower beyond a shadow of a doubt. And he says that we may know what we have been freely given by God. There's some prayers that God just will not answer. For instance... If you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you're praying every day for God to save you, he's not going to respond to that prayer. It's foolishness. He's already done it. He will not do again that which he has called done. He won't send Jesus to die on the cross for you again just because you can't get it in your thick skull that it's already been done. He won't do it again. And so there's not going to be any anointing on that prayer at all. You're not going to feel the presence or power of God if you're praying ridiculous prayers. 
You know, one of the one of the keys to an effective and a powerful prayer life is stop praying for stuff that's already done. And stop asking for stuff that you've already got. Instead of praying for more, you should be praying for revelation. Instead of praying, Lord, give me more of your presence, pray this prayer. Lord, give me revelation of your presence that I've already received. It's not more. It's the knowledge of what you have freely received. We need the Holy Spirit because we have no idea what we've got. We got no idea. We're completely ignorant of what we have. He's given us everything for necessary for life and godliness, but we wake up every morning going, oh, Lord, I don't have enough. Something. God says, no, I've already given you everything. He gives us the spirit that we might know the things that we've been freely given by God. You know what we've been freely given by God? We've been given his glory. You are the recipients of the glory of the Lord. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 28 through 30. He says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And whom he predestined, he also called. And whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, he also glorified. God has already glorified you. If you have come to faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have been predestined, you have been called, you've been justified, and you've been glorified. It's already done. It means that God has already imparted to you the gift of his glory. It resides in your life. You don't believe me? Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. It says, All we who with unveiled faces, steadfastly beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, From glory unto glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Not only has God given you the gift of His glory, but He's taking you from one glory to another glory. And this glory is not as big as the next glory. The next glory is getting bigger, and the next glory is going to be bigger. You say, well, I'm walking through a dark time right now. It just means you're in between one glory and another. But the next glory is going to be bigger than the last glory. The problem is we find ourselves in between glories and we get so freaked out in the valley that we try to run back to the last glory. And I'm telling you, the last glory is not a glory anymore because his glory's moved on to the next mountaintop. You've got to go forward and stop running back. You need to assume that the glory of the Lord is increasing in your life and stop thinking it's decreasing. His glory does not decrease. He's given us the gift of his glory and we're moving from glory unto glory as by the spirit of the Lord. So he's already glorified us and he's taking us from glory to glory. Why don't we see it? Why don't we see it? Why do we wake up and feel like we're moving from trial to trial instead of from glory to glory? Why do we feel like we're moving from disappointment to disappointment? Why do we feel like we're moving from rejection to rejection? You know, we're in a season now where the economy is suffering and people are losing their jobs and it's taking years to find another job. We got people who have been unemployed for two and three years and and struggling and businesses that used to flourish are now failing and, and people are struggling. People who never knew what it was like to struggle financially are struggling financially. And, and you know, I'm seeing 
institutions of education that are falling apart and closing their doors and and people are struggling and saying, God, what's going on? It seems like I just go from one trial to the next. I go from one hardship to the next. I go from one disappointment to the next. There are some people who just can't seem to keep a marriage together. I say, God, I tend to go from one marriage to the next, one girlfriend to the next, one boyfriend to the next, one relationship to the next. I can't hold friendships together. I can't seem to stay at a church. I go from one church to the next. Why is it that I just have hardship upon hardship upon hardship? My perspective is trained on my ongoing trial rather than on the ever-increasing glory of the Lord. Somehow my eyes are closed to it and I can't see that actually, regardless of what I understand or see, God's taking me from one glory to another glory. Some of you just hit a setback in your life and you think you went backwards. No, you're going to the next glory and it's bigger than the last glory. You can, and, and oftentimes it, it, do, it appears to be the opposite in the natural. Remember how ornate Solomon's temple was? Solomon built this grand temple in the 900s. And in 586 BC, 400, almost 330 years later, it was destroyed. And then in 516, it was rebuilt. But the old people who had seen Solomon's temple were weeping. When they saw the new one coming up, they wept because they said, the glory of this new temple is not anything compared to our last temple. Some of you are standing in that place today. You're looking at what used to be in your life and what is in your life today. And you're saying what's in my life today doesn't even compare to what I had. What I had back then was so much better than what I have now. But the prophet stood up as the people were weeping and he cried out, no, you're seeing it the wrong way. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than that of the former. The glory of this latter house. God is speaking to you today and he's saying the glory of your latter shall be greater than that of your former. You're looking back with nostalgia on what you had and God says it's nothing compared to what you're about to have. But you don't know it because you're standing in darkness and in ignorance and I'm trying to bring you into the light today. You want to, you need to move from ignorance of what God is about to do into the place of knowledge. And when you move into that place of knowledge, you begin to see that God is taking you from one level of glory to another level of glory. And this next level of glory is going to outstrip your last level of glory if your eyes would open to see it. Do you know that it was the second temple that saw the birth of Jesus Christ? They were looking for a glory that was in the stones and in the ornamentation of the temple, but God saw a greater glory coming out of it. He saw Simeon standing on the steps of that second temple, holding in his hands the Christ, the the child, the baby. And he says, now my eyes have seen the salvation of the Lord. There was a greater glory coming out of that second temple. You say, maybe it's you got a smaller house than you used to have. You got a smaller apartment. You got a smaller car. You got a smaller salary. I don't care if it looks like decrease in the natural. God sometimes has to decrease you in the natural so he can increase you in the spirit. Sometimes he's got to take something away before he gives you something new. Sometimes he has to prune you. He prunes you so you can be more fruitful. And when God prunes you, it's not because you failed. It's because you've succeeded. He said, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that bears fruit, he prunes it. 
If you're fruitful, God says, I'm going to prune you. I'm going to start cutting branches away. You know, when you're getting pruned, it looks like you're decreasing. But God says, no, I'm making room for more fruitfulness. I'm making room for more. Some stuff has to get pruned out of your life because there's greater fruitfulness coming. God's saying, I'm cutting some stuff out, but not to decrease you, to increase you. I'm taking you from glory to glory. The glory is increasing, but you got to come into the knowledge of it today. You got to begin to see it. You got to come out of the darkness. Come on, somebody. You got to get with the program of what God is doing in your life and stop looking at things in the natural, begin to see in the spirit. Now, I want to hit on this. There's three reasons why we typically don't see the glory that God is bringing into our lives. There's three things that keep us outside of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. First of all, we think it's an external glory. And what God is bringing us is an internal glory. We're looking for it in the wrong place. Remember, in the original creation, God called light to shine out of darkness. And when, the, when man and woman came into existence, they saw light from the outside in. But God now says that I'm bringing about an internal glory, not an external glory. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul sets this up. First of all, in verse 4, He says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they can't see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But then he says in verse six, it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has caused the light of the knowledge of the glory of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ to shine out of our hearts. You hear that? In the original creation, he commanded light to shine out of darkness. In the new creation, he commands it to shine out of our hearts. It's an internal glory, meaning that God is glorifying you from the inside out, but you're looking for an outside-in glory. Meaning you feel the glory of the Lord is rising in your life when you see your external circumstances changing. For most of us, the only time we believe God is lifting us up and glorifying us is if our money situation changes. You want to get some testimonies of the glory of God? Start passing out checks for $1,000. Folks will be testifying right and left. God, look, the glory of God is, I'm, God is blessing me. You need a check in your hand to say that God's blessed you. God says, the glory, that's not even glory. The glory is coming out of your heart. You know, some of you are discouraged because you've been in a dark tunnel, and every time you see a light at the end of it, you find it to be an, ongoing tra- an oncoming train. You know, I mean, imagine you've been in that tunnel for so long and you see a light. There's a way out. I see it. And you start running towards that way out. And all of a sudden it's running towards you. And you hold on a second. And all of a sudden you hear it. And you realize you're about to be run over by an oncoming train. For some of you, every time there's a light at the end of the tunnel, you get run over by an oncoming train. Every time you think something's going to change and something's going to get better in your life, it gets worse. And you're discouraged and you feel like God has abandoned you because what you see on the outside does not correspond to the promise of increasing glory. Let me tell you something. The glory of God's not coming from the end of the tunnel. It's coming out of your heart. It's coming out of you. The glory, in other words, you are the light that's shining in that tunnel. The light is not at the end. The light is in you. You're looking for an external light, but God is bringing you an internal light. You're looking for light to come to you, and God is looking for light to come from you. See, this is important because God puts you in that tunnel to be a light for others who are in darkness in that tunnel. 
God put you in that tunnel because he knew that you are the light and there's folks stumbling around in darkness and suddenly he takes a son or a daughter of the light and sticks them in that tunnel and says, you're going to lead everybody in that tunnel to freedom. But if you're stumbling around thinking you're in the darkness, everybody's lost. I love Psalm 139. David said in Psalm 139, that's a famous passage of scripture where David says, where can I go from your presence? Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in the grave, you're there. If I go to the uttermost parts of the sea, my boat loses its course and I'm lost in the sea. He said, even there, your right hand will uphold me. Even if I'm completely lost, you're not lost. Your right hand upholds me. He says, if I say, surely the darkness will cover me. He says, indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you. For darkness and light are alike to you. The darkness shines as the day for you. Let me tell you something. God does not experience darkness. Darkness experiences God. Did you get that? God does not experience darkness. God walks into a dark room and goes, man, it's bright in here. He walks into the darkest dungeon where there's absolutely no light. He walks in and goes, oh, it's bright. Man, it's bright. They need to turn down the lights in here. It's so bright in here. And he walks into a lighted room and he goes, man, it's bright in here. Darkness and light are alike. He has no experience of darkness because he is light. When you are light, you have no experience of darkness. Darkness experiences you. That's why John said in John chapter 1 verse 12, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness comprehended it not. The darkness said, what's going on? The problem is the sons and daughters of light walk into the darkness and get confused. We walk out into the darkness and go, what's going on? You're not supposed to say what's going on. The darkness is. You're not supposed to be confused. The enemy's supposed to be confused. The promise is that the enemy will come at you in one direction and flee from you in seven. The promise is that you're going to be the head and not the tail. The lender and not the borrower. Are you hearing me today? You have the promise. God is light. And in him, there's no darkness at all. It means he is knowledge. And in him, there's no ignorance at all. You know, every time I, I start to freak out or fear or feel anxious in my heart, I have to stop and remind myself, God is not freaking out. Freaking out is a work of darkness. When I freak out, it means I'm completely ignorant of what's happening in this situation. I have no idea what God is doing, and so I think he's doing nothing. So I'm going to fear because he's left me. Do you know when you've walked through your darkest circumstance, where you felt like everything was crashing in on you and you felt like there was no hope, God didn't even get up. He stayed seated. Isn't that, isn't that a trip? Last night I was at the ark and after the service was over, we had a powerful time ministering at the altar. And, and after, after the ministry time at the altar, we were lingering and we were ministering to people and talking to people and praying for people. And it was getting late and it was about 10 o'clock and I was talking to somebody and I was deep in conversation with a young lady and, and trying to shift her heart into a particular place. And I'm talking to her and all of a sudden I heard my daughter fall. Boom. And then I heard her scream, daddy. And mid sentence, I was like, yes. And the <laughs> I was gone. Next thing I had my daughter, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? And, oh, she's fine. Oh, thank God. 
She's fine. Okay, she's fine. She had fallen, but it was just a little, little scratch on her knee. But she's fine. But, she, but when I heard her cry, I was gone. And that, that young lady said, man, I've never seen you move so fast before in my life. You moved like grease lightning. I mean, you were like, bam. You were, th- I mean, she, that, before she finished Dad D, you had her in your arms. And I thought about it. You know, when, have you noticed that when you scream daddy to God, he doesn't even get up? See, I used to say, man, if that's how quickly I get to my child, how much quicker does God get to us? Not really. The difference, I can't be present with my child all the time. God doesn't run to you because he never left you. He doesn't run to you because he never departed from you. And the fact that you're crying, daddy, come, means you're completely ignorant of the fact that he's already with you. You came into the darkness. He doesn't get up for that nonsense because it's completely ignorant of the truth. What do you mean, come? I'm already there. I'm in you. I've inscribed you in the palm of my hand. I've written you on the... Listen, you are the apple of my eye. If my daughter's in my arms and she's screaming, Daddy, come, I'm going to lay hands on her. I'm not going to run. He doesn't even get up off the throne. The only time we see Jesus standing, when we see him in the heavens in scripture, he's always sitting at God's right hand. There's only one moment when he stood up. You know when that was? When Stephen was being martyred and he was coming home. Stephen said, as they were stoning him to death, he said, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He stood up to say, come on home, Stephen. You know what? Until he's ready to receive you home, he's going to stay seated. Why? Because he's already got authority over everything that's attacking you and everything that's coming against you. It's already under his feet. It's, re- it's under his feet, and so he doesn't even have to get up because it's already done. Are you hearing me? So you're looking for an external glory, but it's an internal glory. Second, you think it's in the realm of the soul, but it's not. It's in the realm of the spirit. This is an important one. you got to get this, and you got to stay with me on this. When we ask God to speak, we're often asking him to speak to our souls. He don't speak to the soul. He said, the words I speak, their spirit and their life. And Paul said that the spirit of God bears witness with our spirit. You're waiting for a witness in your soul and it ain't going to happen. Let me tell you the distinction. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 14, 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14, Three verses after Paul said he's given us the spirit, not of the world, but of the spirit who is from God so that we might know the things that God's freely given us. He says in verse 14, but the soulish man, the word in the Greek is psukikos. Say psukikos. Psukikos. The NIV says the natural man. The word psukikos comes from the, the root psukes. Say psukes. Psukes. It's where we get the word psyche from. Psyche is spelled what? P-S-Y-C-H-E. If you turn that Y into a U, it turned into Y when Greek went from Greek to Latin. Instead of Y, turn it into a U. Psuche. It means soul. Do you know what psychology is? It's soulology. It's the study of the soul. And the soul is comprised of the mind, the will, and the emotions. Paul says, the soulish man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. 
nor can he, for they are foolishness to him. You're locked out of the knowledge that comes through the Spirit because you're so locked into your own mind, will, and emotions that your soul becomes a shield. And the Word of God and the power of God and the blessings of God are just bouncing off that big soul shield. You're just a big soul sitting there. Words are coming that can set you free, but the soul is just all up in here. This big old soul. Big old soul. I had a young man call me recently. He said, Pastor, you don't love me. You don't love me. You're not my spiritual father. You don't love me. I said, why do you say that, brother? He said, because you don't call me. When was the last time you took me out to lunch? You don't come to my house. You don't come visit me. You don't love me. You don't love me at all. You're not my spiritual father. I don't feel like you care about me at all. I said, brother, how long have you been feeling this? He's about two months, about two months. Have you not heard? And at first I couldn't understand it. Have you not heard anything I've been saying? Haven't you heard any of the life-changing, transforming, world-changing messages I've been preaching that are setting people free all over the world? Don't you? See, I, I can't understand why you can come hear me preach and go home still in bondage. I really don't get it. To me, it's, it's preposterous. I mean, the word is coming with so much anointing and authority and wisdom and revelation and insight that you should be completely free. By the time I'm done talking to you, you know what was happening? Big old soul. Big old emotions. Emotions all up in here. He doesn't love me. He doesn't love me. And the word is coming in its spirit, and that big soul is going, uh-uh, and getting in here. You don't love me. Big shield. You know the shield of faith that quenches all the fiery darts of the evil one? The shield of the soul, it quenches all of the words of the Lord. Just The soul shield. You're not getting in here. You ain't changing my life. You're not setting me free. You don't love me. Before you set me free, you got to take me to lunch. How about the mind? Sometimes the mind is a big old shield, big soul shield is the mind. I remember when I was in seminary, I was so learned. You know, they say education is simply... The, the increasing knowledge of personal ignorance. Because, see, when I was in high school, I knew just about everything. When I was in college, I knew most stuff. By the time I graduated college, I knew most stuff. But I realized there was a few things I didn't know. By the time I graduated seminary, I realized there's a whole lot that I don't know. And then I did my Ph.D., and by the time I got halfway into my dissertation, I realized I don't know nothing. <laughs> after, my, after my conference of exams, I came home crying. My wife said, why are you crying? I said, I don't know nothing. I don't know nothing. Increasing awareness of personal ignorance. That's what education is. But, but when I was in seminary, I remember my first year of seminary, I took kamikaze Greek. That's what we called it, kamikaze Greek, because it's like a suicide mission. It was one year of Greek in 10 weeks. A whole year of Greek packed into 10 weeks. And we were, we were studying Matthew 6, you know, there, verse, I believe it's verse 29 and following, where Jesus says, Do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? All these things the Gentiles are seeking. But you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. Well, man, I mastered that passage. Here's the problem. As soon as you think you've mastered the scripture, you're in trouble. The point is not to master scripture, but to let the scripture master you. You think you're breaking open the word. Because, well, I'm just breaking open. the No, no, no. The word is breaking you open. <laughs> if the word ain't breaking you open, something's wrong. 
But I had exegeted the heck out of that passage. And I learned it in the Greek. Do not worry. Saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? All these things the Gentiles are seeking. And I looked at that phrase, do not worry, do not worry. And I learned that it's a prohibitory subjunctive. Very important, very important. Not an imperative, a prohibitory subjunctive. Not a negative imperative, a prohibitory subjunctive. Get it right. So I went to a church during that year right after I had exegeted the heck out of that text. And there was a pastor that I loved to go hear preach until that day. He had a Ph.D. And so I thought, this guy is learned. And I can only sit under somebody who's as learned as I am. And he opened up to that passage and said, Jesus said, do not worry. Now this negative imperative, I didn't hear anything he said after that. I'm sitting there thinking, That ain't an imperative. It's a prohibitory subjunctive. How could he say it's an imperative? He has a PhD. What? He knows better. He didn't even study for this sermon. Had he just opened up his Greek lexicon, he would have known. All of the parsing tools available. This man is not learned. I didn't hear anything else. Just a big mind in the way big mind. He's bringing the word of the Lord. It could set me free. It's setting people free all over, all around. And me, I'm just a big old brain, just big mind all up in the way. You ain't getting nothing through here. You're not setting me free. You parsed that Greek term wrong. Mm -mm, Get it right, brother. No, you can't minister to me until you learn your Greek. Go back to school. I'm I'm not getting set free by nobody that doesn't know as much as I do. Big mind. All up in the way. You haven't studied theology. You haven't, you haven't understood the doctrine of the... You don't understand the historic doctrine of the historic church. You don't understand the Nicene Creed. <laughs> Big mind all up in the way. And somebody came to me afterwards. All kinds of people were coming to me afterwards. Wasn't that a powerful word today? I said, yeah, but that was not a negative imperative. It was a prohibitory subjunctive. People were looking at me like, okay, thanks for clearing that up. That really sets me free now. See, I was in bondage thinking it was an imperative. Big brain, big mind, all up in the way. I wish I could go back and lay hands on myself that day. I wish I could go back and slap myself and baptize myself three times face forward. And get myself right. I wish I could go back and get up in my face and say, drop all of that intellectual pride and open your heart and let God minister to you. Get out of the soul. Get your soul out of the way and let God speak to your spirit. The mind gets all up in the way and says, you can't minister to me till you answer all my questions. Get that mind out of the way. The heart says, you can't minister to me till you heal all of my pain. The will says you can't minister to me till you can convince me to stop doing the stuff that I have decided that I'm going to keep doing even after this service is over. Get that soul out of the way. Big old soul. Big soul. Just all up in here. Come in. It's just a bunch of souls sitting there. And Paul said, the soulish man 
does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. Indeed, he cannot receive them for their foolishness to him. You know, when you hear spiritual things and you're in the soul, they sound ridiculous to you. Just go, that's ridiculous. Next time you feel like something's ridiculous, <laughs> why don't you just look in the mirror and say, Lord, I got a big old soul problem. Now, you know what? Some folks, their soul is bigger than their body. I'm not looking at nobody. You know why? You know why I say that? Because I've seen God heal people's physical body and their soul still doesn't shift. I mean, that, you ever wonder why Jesus could work miracles of healing and deliverance in front of the Pharisees and they still didn't believe? Because their soul was bigger than their body. I mean, God can even change your external circumstances and you still don't believe. God can work miracles, but your soul is so humongous. You say, how do I get the soul out of the way? Psalm 25, David says, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. There's only one way to get the soul out of the way, and that's to make it an offering to God. When David says to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul, what he means is I lift up my mind that's trying to figure stuff out that I can't figure out. The greatest hindrance, the reason why people, a lot of people don't believe in Jesus because they got questions in their mind that they can't solve. A big old soul, big old mind. Until you offer it to God. To you, O Lord, I lift up my questions. To you, O Lord, I lift up my emotional hurt. To you, O Lord, I lift up my baggage. To you, O Lord, I lift up my bad habits. I, I'm in, see, instead of trying to solve your questions, instead of trying to heal your pain, instead of trying to fix your bad habits, just offer them to God and get them out of the way. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. And then he says, in you I trust, O my God. You can't trust him till you lift up your soul. The soul can't trust him. Do you know that faith does not take place in the soul? Paul said, with the same spirit of faith, we believe and therefore speak. Faith only takes place in the realm of the spirit. And when you're all up in the soul, you can't even believe. But one thing the soul can do is it can hope. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. It enters into the holy place on our behalf where Jesus has gone. Listen, the soul can hope. And once hope is born in the soul, it can be lifted up to God as an offering. And all of a sudden we find, I can trust him now. Not because my questions are answered. Not because all of my hurts are, are healed. Not because all of my habits are alleviated. But because I've taken my questions and my hurts and my habits and I've offered them to God. I've lifted them up to God and say, I give it to you. I cast all my cares and sorrows on you because you care for me. To you, O oh Lord, I lift up my soul. It's not in the soul, it's in the spirit. And once that soul is lifted up out of the way... All of a sudden, the Spirit of God begins to open your eyes and you begin to see the glory of God that is already resident in your life. The glory of God begins to break forth and you're brought into the knowledge of it because he took you out of the realm of the soul and brought you into the realm of the Spirit. Are you with me this morning? And then last point here. You're thinking old creation. He's thinking new creation. I'm going to end with this. You're thinking ex nihilo and he's thinking redemption. In the old creation, God created ex nihilo out of nothing. He said, let there be light. No light existed, but he said, let there be. Bam, and there was. Let there be cows. Bam, here come cows. He created through his word out of nothing. In the new creation, God is not creating ex nihilo. 
You say, I don't have any money. God manifests some. Send it out of nowhere. You're waiting for an ex nihilo blessing. That's why you don't see the glory of God breaking out in your life because you're expecting it to appear out of thin air. Lord, I need a wife. Can you drop one out of the sky? God isn't dropping a wife out of the sky. He expects you to go to the gym and get a job and take more baths. You're waiting for him to manifest a woman and God's waiting for you to manifest some discipline. Are you hearing me? God send me some more money. He's not manifesting money out of the sky, but he will take something in your house and multiply it. Second Kings chapter four. The widow woman comes to Elisha and says, my husband was a righteous man, but he died broke and left us in debt. And the prophet said, what can I do for you? What's in your house? Meaning if you don't know what's in your house, there ain't nothing I can do for you. He didn't say, I'm prophesying that the provision is coming from a direction that you don't know. Isn't it funny when we prophesy, it's always ex nihilo. We take people all the way back to the beginning where God speaks, let there be money and there is money. God ain't speaking money into existence. He's going to give you revelation of what you've already got in your house. He said, what you got in your house? I ain't got nothing in my house. Well, go back and look again and ask God for revelation of what you got in your house. Because you got something in your house that God is going to use. If you don't get revelation of what's already in your house, nothing is going to happen. Go home and pray. She went home and prayed and came back and said, I got a little jar of Wesson oil. (laughs) He said, that's all you need. Go and get as many empty vessels as you can. God is getting ready to take that Wesson oil and make it blessed oil. Y'all don't know nothing about no blessed oil. Come on, I'm taking you back to the church of God in Christ. <laughs> See, it's just olive oil, but once you pray over it, now it's blessed oil. <laughs> she said, you take, listen, I'm going to take that little jar of chicken grease and you're going to take some empty vessels and pour and it's going to, I'm going to mult. God will multiply what's in your house. He's not giving you anything new. It's already in your house. Moses said, Lord, how am I going to convince these Egyptians that you're with me? He said, what's that in your hand? And I love the way the, 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 the translation said, it's a rod. It wasn't a rod, it was a stick. It's a stick he found on the ground somewhere. He was using it to walk. It's a stick. God said, good, with that, you're going to strike down the Egyptians. With that stick, that stick has now become the rod of God. It was already in your hand for years. You just didn't know that I was going to anoint it. So whenever you're in trouble, Moses, just take that stick and just shake it. Just point it. Remember, they came to the Red Sea and the Egyptian army were coming in the Red Sea and Moses is crying, Lord, what are we going to do? And God said, why are you crying? Remember the stick? Point it at the sea. And Moses goes, and the sea parts. It was already in my, the answer is already in your hand. It's a stick. It's either in your hand or it's in your house. How about this? The feeding of the 5,000. Jesus says, where can we find bread to feed all of these? And the disciples immediately went into the flesh. Eight months wages is not enough for each one of these to even have a bite. They're thinking of how much they have to work to make it happen. As soon as you're thinking of how much you have to work to make it happen, you're in the flesh because you're trying to do it by your own power. Well, Lord, shall we pause time and work for eight months? No. What do you have? Well, we've got a little boy's lunch, just five loaves and two fish. That's enough. Bring it to me. And he takes it and he blesses it and says, now give it to the people. He multiplied 
what they already had. Some of you are broke, but God's getting ready to give you a business idea. He's going to take something that's already in your house and he's going to anoint it and multiply it and bless it. Some of you think I'll never prosper financially because I don't have enough education and I don't have enough experience. Listen, if you have a mop in a bucket, God can anoint that mop and that bucket and prosper you. He doesn't need anything but a little bit of Wesson oil. Come on, somebody. Come on, it's art. But what you need is revelation. You need revelation. It's not about looking at your household and trying to figure out what is of value. You can't figure it out on your own. It's not about you trying to come up with an idea. You can't figure it out on your own. You need revelation. God, show me what you're anointing. Show me what you're blessing. Show me that the glory of the Lord is already in my household. It's already in me. You've already got it. What's missing is the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. God wants to bring you into the realm of knowledge. He wants to open your eyes and see, oh, if you could get the knowledge of what God has put in you, if you could see your glorified self, if you could see that you are light, if you could see that that light is shining out of your heart, you don't see it because we've been clothed in these garments of skin. And these garments of skin, they cover the glory, but I'm telling you that it's there. And I'm telling that if you would get the eyes of revelation to begin to see the glory, if you saw your glorified self walking down the street, you'd be tempted to fall down and worship yourself. Why? Because God has already imparted his glory to your life and you are reflecting the glory of the Lord. You know what the devil sees when he sees you? He sees light. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You are a city that's set upon a hill and you cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and hide it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Let your light so shine before men. Listen, you can't let your light shine before men if you don't think you have any. The devil looks at you and and he sees light, but you look at yourself and you see darkness. You've got to come out of that darkness in your mind and come into the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. The earth is already filled with his glory. The only thing missing is knowledge. And if the earth is going to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, it's going to start with you. Amen. It's going to start with you. It's going to start with you. It's going to start with you. God is taking you into the realm of his glory. And I want to end with this. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 19 and 20. Isaiah chapter 60, Amen. verse 19 and 20. It says, the sun shall no longer be your, night, your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give light to you. But the Lord will be to you an everlasting light. And your God, your glory. Listen to this. This is the word of the Lord to you. Sons and daughters, hear the word of the Lord. Your sun shall no longer go down. Nor shall your moon withdraw itself. For the Lord will be your everlasting light. And the days of your mourning shall be ended. Are you hearing me this morning? The Lord is your everlasting light. And your sun... So many of you, you've come into a place of encouragement and blessing, but then your sun went down and you got discouraged again. You came to a place of revelation and understanding where God began to open your eyes and show you who you are, but your sun set and you went back into the ignorance of darkness. You're still living with an old creational mindset. You think that there's day for you and then there's night for you. There's encouragement for you and then there's discouragement for you, but God is taking you into a new dispensation. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. If anyone walks in me, he will never walk in darkness. The Lord is your everlasting light. This is permanent. This is permanent. God is not going to take you in and out anymore. This is permanent. The Lord is your everlasting light. He's taking you into the knowledge of what he's given you, what he's freely given you, and he's not letting you out of that place. Some of you, as soon as the sun goes down, you come into this place of darkness. 
Some of you young men, as soon as the sun goes down, you come into this place of temptation. Some of you young ladies, as soon as the sun goes down, you come into this place of loneliness and despair and depression. But I'm telling you that even when the sun goes down in the external natural world, the sun will never go down in your heart from this day forward. I'm telling you that the Lord has become your everlasting light. He's taking you into that place where he begins to reveal himself and show you who you are. He not only wants to show you who he is, but he wants to show you who you are. He wants to manifest his glory and he wants to manifest your glory. That is, he wants to show you who you are and he wants to reveal you to the earth. The book of Luke chapter 1 talks about the birth of John the Baptist. And the very last verse of Luke chapter 1 tells us that the child grew and became strong in spirit, but he was in the wilderness until the day of his manifestation to Israel. He was hidden in the wilderness. He hadn't been manifested yet. I'm talking about the one who would prepare the way of the Lord was already among us, but we didn't know him because he hadn't been manifested yet. But then all of a sudden, he came as a voice calling out of the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, because the light began to shine on him. I'm telling you that you are coming near your day of manifestation. God wants to show you who you are, and he wants to reveal you in the earth. Creation itself is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. Creation is waiting for you and I to be revealed. Creation is waiting for you and I to rise up and recognize who we are. That you shine like the stars in the kingdom of your father. You shine like the stars in the kingdom of your father. you got to know that you're shining. You're radiant. You are radiant. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces are never cast down with shame never that God would begin to open your eyes and show you that you're sons and daughters of the light you're not in darkness anymore you are a chosen generation of royal priesthood a holy nation of people belonging to God that you might declare the praises of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light he has delivered you from the dominion of darkness and brought you into the kingdom of the son that he loves and your son will never set again bow your heads this morning Hallelujah. Father, I release your blessing on your sons and daughters this morning in the name of Jesus. And I declare this morning that there's a coming out of darkness. Sons and daughters in this house are coming out of the darkness right now. Some of you came into this place in darkness. You came and you have no business being in darkness because you've already been born into the light. You've been brought into the kingdom of light, but you found yourself back in darkness, ignorant of what God is doing. But you have the right to know some things. Because you're sons of the day. Scripture says, rise up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will give you light. I'm telling you that Christ is giving you light today. You are the light of the world. You can't be hidden any longer. And the glory of the Lord can't be hidden. I'm telling you that the glory is shining so brightly in this new season that I'd have to be blind not to see it. I'd have to close my eyes, put on dark glasses, close the drapes and and put room darkeners over the windows not to see it. I, I would have to hide my eyes from it not to see it. It's so bright. The freedom in this season is so so great and so powerful that in order to be bound, I'd have to get on my knees and give the devil my neck. In order to fall, I'd have to trip myself and jump into the pit. But by the Spirit of God, we're recognizing what He's done and we're coming out of darkness. We're coming into the light. This morning, I say to you that the days of ignorance are coming to an end. The days of knowledge are upon us. 
There's a rising up in your spirit this morning. A rising up. A rise. Some of you feel an uprising in your heart. If you feel an uprising in your heart, you want the full release of it. I just want you to come stand at this altar here. Just come stand at this altar right now. I believe for a release.